Hey friends, thanks for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel today. We hope that God speaks to you in a personal, powerful way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Word of God with us. You may not know Pastor Joey yet, but I'm telling you, after today, you're going to love him as much as the rest of us do. He has got a powerful word from God this morning, and hopefully a little bit of info on what he's been doing the past year as he and his family have been out on the road. So welcome, Pastor Joey. Thank you. Hi. Thank you so much. There's a good vibe in the room, in the church, and I like it. Don't be quiet. Please be loud and talk back to me. I hate the sound of my own voice like every human being does. And so I want to hear you talk back to me as we talk today. My name is Joey. Um, I am called the online pastor of Believer's Chapel. Um, that, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I didn't double check with Pastor Rich, but I think that, that I am the first official full-time remote employee in Believer's Chapel's history. Other churches have done that. It's not like a brand new thing, but I know it's pretty new for Believer's Chapel. Um, so a lot of what I do is I simply work on things that have to do with sharing the gospel on our remote platforms. So that means online, that means like social media and websites and videos and things of that nature. And then trying to be innovative with how to reach people who only visit us on that platform. So those of you watching online, I'm normally where you are and I'm in the chats with you. So, look, if you're with me, you can say, like, yeah, Pastor Joey, I'm feeling it, and just put that in the chat, because I'm normally hanging with you. But today, I'm here in the house, and it's really good to be in the house. Um, for those of you who don't know me, because I know there's some familiar faces, and then there's faces I don't recognize, and welcome to church whenever you got here in the last nine months. I don't know, because I wasn't here, but I'm glad you're here, and I'll tell you about who I am. So, I got to Believer's Chapel around... Uh, 2010 into 2011. I actually came from another church that was going through some stuff, and I was going through some stuff, and I had some just bad experiences. And God was really trying to, I think, heal me and work on me, and I ended up migrating over here because Pastor Kaysen, y'all know and love Pastor Kaysen, he was here. Yeah, you can give it up for him. He was here, and he was in the internship, and he uh, was a friend of mine at the time, and he said, hey, there's always a place for you over at Believer's Chapel if you want to come check it out. And so I know I've told this story to some of you, but not everyone has heard this story. So I came uh, a few different times, and one time I was filling in, because I'm a musician too, so I was filling in on the worship team, and I was playing bass. I was right back kind of behind where the drum kit is. It was a different setup at the time. And I don't know anybody, and nobody knows me. And there was a guy who walks up in the middle of worship. He whispers in the pastor's ear at the front. You know, they do the little thing with, like, can I share this word? And the pastor's got to be like, yeah, it's okay, you can share the word. So they do that, and then he walks up on stage here, and he makes eye contact with me. And I kind of, you know, I'm on the base over there, and I look at him, and I'm like, hey, like, why are you staring at me, you know? And, uh, and then he walks further onto the stage, all the way back here. Sorry, camera crew, you're probably not going to see this, but he comes all the way back here, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and now I'm really confused, and he says, I just want you to know that God sees what you're going through, and he is faithful, and there are people who are going to think that, you know, you've abandoned where you came from and that you're betraying friends, but God's actually calling you out of a place to put you in a new place so you can go through some healing and hear his voice with clarity. And I was like, wow, called me out in front of the church. Um, I was just so moved by that. I stayed at Believer's Chapel ever since. Very shortly after that, I met my wife, who I'm not going to embarrass, but she is sitting right over there. Um, 
I have a beautiful family. I'll show you some pictures in a second. Um, I'll try to keep this quick because I got a word for you too and I don't want to talk forever. I haven't preached in a while and I'm seriously ready to be like, pick up your phone, text your friends, tell them you're not going to make it. We're going to be here all day. I'm just going to let it all out. I'm not really going to do that. Don't be discouraged. Do cancel your dinner plans, but don't be discouraged. Um, so I met my wife and uh, we got married about two years after that. Uh, she is incredible and we started a family and Believer's Chapel hired me to work part-time in the worship uh, and in the music department and the creative arts and all that. So I did that for several years during all of Believer's Chapel's transitions. This church has been through a lot too. Um, and I was um, about ready to be done with that too. I wasn't sure what God wanted for me in my life. And I just was feeling like, I don't know if I want to do that. I didn't want to do more ministry. I was like, I am anti-ministry. It's so ironic that I am in full-time ministry because I did not want to do that. I, like literally like arguments with God and said like, absolutely not. Arguments. My wife saw it because she sees everything before I do. And she says, you know, you should open yourself up to this. And I said, that's okay. So um, then Pastor Rich, uh, whom I love, you can give it up for Pastor Rich too. I love Pastor Rich. He was so faithful and uh, when I was about ready to be done with Believer's Chapel and even move on to something else, he calls me up, and this is when he starts to step into his role, because he wasn't lead pastor at the time, and he became an interim lead pastor. And he said, hey, Joey, I know we've talked to you before about working full-time at Believer's Chapel, but I just want to ask you one more time to consider it. I really think God has something for you. And I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to push it on you, but I just believe God has something for you. And full-time ministry, I'd like you to come on the team. Uh, a couple of months later, my wife and I prayed about it, and we ended up feeling like, you know what, this, I think this is God. I think this is right. And so in 2018, that was at the time, I stepped into uh, different ministerial positions here. And I was here with Believer's Chapel uh, through that up until, well, now. Um, and then when 2020, at the end of 2020-ish, maybe into 2021, I don't remember exactly the timeline, but God had started putting it on my heart and on my wife's heart that we should consider looking at what God wants to do in our lives on a more national focus and less central to New York. I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I love Syracuse, New York. I have roots here. I have my family is here. And I always felt this burning passion to make a huge difference in Syracuse, New York. And it was weird for me when I started feeling like God was saying, you can take your eyes off of Syracuse and look at more. It's okay to do that. You're not abandoning Syracuse by considering that maybe I have something else for you. But my wife and I didn't know what that was going to look like, and we even considered moving to a different state, and nothing fit. Nothing seemed right. We said, I don't know what to do with that. You know, God, what do you, what do you want from, from us then? And then the idea came to my wife first, and she said, what if we don't live somewhere specific? What if we travel all the time? And I said, nope. I don't camp. I'm not rugged and outdoorsy. I, that's not me. Like, I don't even know how you do it. Literally, this, my image of somebody who lives, so we, we live in an, for those of you who don't know, we live in an RV full time, and we travel. That's what we do. So we're here in Syracuse, and we live in an RV. We're parked somewhere. So when, when I imagine, when she said that to me, the picture that comes into my mind is literally taking a trailer out into the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere and just sitting and doing nothing. I'm like, isn't that what they do? I don't know what they do. That sounds lame. How do you minister to the grass? Like, I don't want to do that. And I just, I had no idea. Obviously, some of you are laughing because you know that's not what, you know, RV parks are like. That's not what it's like. I didn't know. So we prayed about that some more, and we felt like, you know what? I think that's what God is saying. Don't be, don't be tied down to any specific location and see what God is doing in the world and see what you can learn from that, and maybe you can make an impact while you're learning from that. 
So we prayed about that more. We went and talked to Pastor Rich about it. We went and talked to the elders about it. And over the course of several months, we wanted confirmation because we have spiritual authority in this house. And I was submitting to my pastor and submitting to the elders. I said, I don't want to do this unless you can, you know, see with us that this seems like it's from God. So we did that and they blessed us and they prayed with us. And then they sent us off and we started to travel. And uh, so I'm going to show you some pictures of my family. You can put the first one up. Um, This is, uh, I have three daughters, uh, no sons. I had no idea. I was, like, ready to raise boys. And you know how God does that, right? Where I'm like, God, I know how I'm going to talk to my kids about being chivalrous and about, you know, how to be sexually pure and blah, 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 blah. And God laughed and said, here's your girls. Um, So that's my beautiful wife and my oldest daughter, Michaela. Julia is wearing that big black sweatshirt. She's the middle child, and Nora is the youngest. You can go to the next one. Um, So we, the five of us fit in our, that's the picture I chose, um, my kids are awesome. I love my kids. Um, the five of us live in the RV, and then we have a cat. We actually have two cats now because we found one in an RV park that was abandoned. Um, and so it's, uh, it's exciting. You know, we go from state to state, moving around to different parks, uh, experiencing life, experiencing the country, experiencing the climate of the country and what it's like. We've been through a lot, right? You know, the world seems like it's changing really, really fast. And so it's nice to see how the rest of the country is responding to that and how God uniquely moves in different communities. Because God's working, y'all, and God's present, but we don't always see it because a lot of times we expect him to work in a way we're used to or we've seen before. So we go, the world is so evil and God's just not working. That's not true. He's just working in a way that we're not used to, and we have to adjust ourselves to that. You can go to the next picture. I'll just show you a couple more pictures of my family. Um, my wife, these are not me taking photos on Instagram. My wife is a photographer. Um, my photos don't look like that. Um, but we got to visit uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I think that's where that was. You can go to the next one. Um, this was in North Carolina. This was not long ago. We were there just a few weeks ago before we got back here. Um, we were hanging out in Lexington. You can go to the next one. I think I have a picture of the rig. So there's the rig. Um, I don't know about you, it's big. Like, like I'd never driven anything like that before. I meet these guys who have been tractor trailer drivers all their life, and they're like, yeah, it's no problem. And I watch them back their RV in like a pro, as if they're peeling a carrot. And like, you should see, you know, I'm getting better. But it's a little intimidating. So we live in that, and we tow it around with our truck. Um, and then, uh, I'm, I want to show you this last one. You can go to the next picture. So this, this dog right here, His name is Gringo. I apologize if that's an offensive name, but this is what he was called when we found him. We were in Mississippi, and it's funny, like I said before, so you don't know what God is doing. You got to open your mind up to what God wants to do, because a lot of times your plans are good, his are just better. And when we were traveling, we were trying to go from northern Texas and darting over to Alabama, and so we had some time to kill in between our campground stays, so we said, what are we going to do? And a lot of times it's hard to find places last minute. It's better when you plan ahead. But we needed somewhere to stay in between, and we just weren't sure. We had a week to kill, or 10 days, or something like that. So we ended up finding this area in Jackson, Mississippi. I know nothing about the South. I know nothing about Mississippi. Anybody ever been to Mississippi, or you, yeah, okay, a handful of you, okay, so forgive me for my ignorance, but I'm just being honest with you, I didn't, I thought Jackson, Mississippi was like a big city, because it's in that Bruno Mars song, you know, so I was like expecting it to be a big deal, and it's fine, but it's not, it's a little area, and you know, we, we get there, and there's not really anything to do, and like the second day, honey, the third day, I don't remember how long we were in the area, what? second day we were driving around I think we were looking for a post office and we see this dog laying down on the side of the road and he looks dead we think he's dead and as soon as we see him out of the corner of our eye my wife goes that's a dog 
Can you drive over to that? And in my mind, I, my wife is so compassionate. And in my mind, I'm already like, I'm about to take in a dog. Like, I know it. Because we're not going to leave it here. I know that about her. So sure enough, we park over there, and it is a dog. And he looks like he's dead, but she goes up and approaches him. And I don't have the video, but I think we posted on Instagram. If, look, if you want to follow along with us, we have an Instagram handle. It's called, it's Join the Bees, B-E-E-S. We say that because my last name is Bolognone, and I'm not going to say join the Bolognones. You can't spell that. So it's join the bees. Um, and if you don't use Instagram but you want to follow, literally just get it and find us. And then you can Because then you get to see some of what we're talking about. We post a lot of stuff on there. But we end up, my wife goes up and approaches the dog, and she starts to almost like, like gently, because you don't know if the dog is going to snap at you. We don't know this dog, and we don't know if it's alive or not. So she reaches her hand, and the dog gently puts its paw forward to try to touch her. And he's so, he's so sweet, and he's really beat up. Um, we ended up having this um, uh, Hispanic family in the area walking by after just eating at a restaurant that was like right where the dog was. And the family uh, says they recognize the dog and have seen where they think he lives. And so we were like, you know, we can't leave him here. He looks like he's dying. So we want to try to get him in our truck. He can barely walk. And he doesn't seem to want to follow us, but he responds to this Hispanic family, and they don't speak English. Um, and so they keep calling him Gringo. They're like, Gringo, come. And he follows them. We're like, here, dog, come here. He doesn't follow us. They say, Gringo, and he goes. So we're like, okay, I think his name is Gringo. And they helped us get him into the truck. We brought him to an emergency vet. And over the course of those days, they helped him recover. We discovered he was horribly abused. Uh, he had a broken hip, probably from an accident. They didn't do anything for him. Um, he ended up having BBs and pellets in him. And the vet said this is, he, he said this happens a lot, guys. Like, you know, this, I'm sorry. And so we're just like, you know, our heart's going out. So we're like, well, we're going to pay for his upfront medical bills. We don't have a lot of money. This is one of those things, too, where, like, we said it, and then later I'm like, I don't know why I did that, because I don't know where that money's going to come from. But God always provides, he has always provided for us. And so we start to, you know, have the vet take care of him there, and we're looking for a foster home for him. And I tell you all of this to say that we didn't plan to go to Mississippi. I certainly didn't plan to find abandoned animals and help them. But we got to minister to people at the vet's office over the course of several days we were able to have some wonderful conversations with people who, I mean, when I tell them, I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I work remotely. You know, we, you know, we're a Christian family. And they're like, like, they look at me like, where's your collar? And I'm like, I'm not, you know, no, I wear, I wear hoodies to church. Hopefully that's okay. Um, and it was just wonderful that I never would have said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go to Jackson, Mississippi, where they get tornadoes, by the way. No, I was not used to that. We were in an RV during a tornado watch or tornado warning. That's when the tornado actually is visible in the community, which some of you know, I didn't, I've never been in an area like that during a tornado. And it was just so, so scary. But we, you know, we ended up being fine. We hide in the bathhouse of the RV campground. That's what you do. Those are the solid, most solid walls in the area. And it ended up passing by. And so we were okay. But I was like, I would never intentionally do any of that. Never. But God used it wonderfully, and we were able to share the gospel there. And that's what most of the trip has been like. The very first time we set out, when we were hanging around, I think we were in Florida, I remember trying to get a Bible study together. And I like stuff like that. Like, I like talking to you. And I like doing this. And I would love to just be able to do this everywhere. Mass evangel, everybody show up in the field and let's preach Jesus. But first of all, a lot of people just don't come. And, and when they do come, a lot of times they're people that I realize now, like, I don't want to talk to you. Um, 
there, we ended up meeting this lovely lady. I want to say her name was Ruth, but I don't remember her name for sure. Do you remember? Anyway, so we um, were able to encourage each other, but nobody wanted to show up. And then some guy who was a karaoke singer and a performer who thought he was, El like, not literally Elvis, but he thought he was a big deal. You know, I perform at Disney. I'm sure you do. I don't care. But he ended up dominating the conversation, monopolizing our time. We didn't get to talk about Jesus much. And I walked away a little discouraged because I'm like, how do, I, how do I share the gospel? I feel like I'm supposed to share the gospel while I'm out here and while we're living in the RV. I don't know how to do it. And it was always things I didn't look for and things I didn't approach that God just brought to us that were really impactful and really encouraging. So I've learned that, you know. So that's a little bit about what it's kind of like. If you follow us on Instagram, you'll get a little bit better of an idea as far as visuals and pictures of where we are and what, what that looks like. But I just wanted to let you know that's kind of how our life is. So now we are very, you know, spirit-led in a sense. We say, well, God, where do you want us to go? We look, consider some areas. We plan to go there. And then we don't make any specific plans because we're like, well, God, you're going to show us what to do while we're there. We're going to meet people. People will encourage us. We will encourage them. And that's how it's been. And that's how I realize it has to continue to be. Now, I say all of that, too, to kind of set you up for this. One of the things I want to talk to you guys about this morning is the fact that as a Christian, my goal in life is to communicate and reveal Jesus to the world. And if you're a Christian, that needs to be your goal, too. If you're not a Christian, I'm letting you in on that. We are so excited about what God has done in our life. We feel so compelled to share it. I want people to know the God that I know. So that's why we, we live like this. And so that's my goal. But I've realized over time that it's easy for us as Christians to get confused about how to communicate the love of Jesus in the world we live in because things have changed. Okay, so now if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open it up and go to Acts chapter 17. We're going to have it up on the screen too, so you'll be able to read it there. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at what the early church, the very first century church, was doing at the time. And before we read it, I want to kind of set the scene up for you. Okay. America, for the most part, was very heavily influenced in its founding on concepts and principles of morality that came from the Bible. Morality is the, is the idea of right and wrong within a system of a, of a society or a civilization or a group of people, right? Right and wrong, justice and injustice. That's what morality deals with. Well, in America, when it was founded, there were a lot of concepts and principles that influenced morality that come from the Bible that were used in the way they tried to create their judicial systems and they're just they're thinking about how society and civilization should run and operate. Now, that doesn't mean that all Americans were Christians. That doesn't mean that Americans didn't do horrible things and didn't deal with struggles and, and commit atrocities. All that happens, that happens in humanity no matter who you are. But it, what it does mean is that if you talked about principles of morality that used biblical language, people were at least familiar with it, and they kind of accepted it for what it was. So um, let me give you an example, um, a biblical example of a family. A family in the Bible is a very, very important unit for society. If the family is healthy, society is healthy. The Bible frames that, that framework, right? The Bible also makes a really big deal about the relationship between the husband and the wife in the family. Okay, they have to be solely committed to each other, exclusively. They have to be willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the other. And they have specific functions in which they do that for each other for the sake of the family. So those are principles of morality that we get from the Bible first. We didn't make them up. The Bible shares them with us, and then we kind of adopt them. Um, 
But that doesn't mean that everyone lived that life. That doesn't mean everyone had that kind of marriage or that kind of family. But even if you didn't, you were familiar with it. And you would know that society around you generally accepts those ideas as good and as healthy, whether it was successful for you or not, okay? Does that make sense? Fast forward, right, to 170 or so years later. We get to about the 1950s and the 1960s. And this new idea comes into play called postmodernism. Postmodernism uh, deals with a lot of things. I would love to give you like a six-hour lecture on this alone, and I'm not going to do that. Some of you will like it. Some of you will sleep through it. We'll skip it. Here's what I do want you to know about postmodernism. It had an impact on the way people perceive and understand morality. So in a Christian situation, fr from biblical ideas of morality, right, there are concepts that use biblical language that people are familiar with. What postmodernism did was it came in and it said, from now on, morality is not determined by religion or faith. Morality is determined by my personal experiences and my ability to pursue my utmost self-expression, my, my purest ability to express myself and fulfill my desires and endeavors. Does that make sense? So there's a huge difference there. Now, again, even though most Americans didn't follow all biblical principles all the time, at least they were familiar with the language. I'm a millennial. I was born, don't hold that against me. Some of you are like, snowflake, don't do that. I, I was born in 1986. My generation in America is the first generation to statistically value postmodernism's idea of morality more than a biblical idea of morality. That's a big shift, right? And then the generation younger than me, they're called Generation Z, that generation values postmodernism's view of morality even more than my generation does. So even though postmodernism showed up in the 50s and 60s, it really started, had enough time to get roots where it started to change the way people think by the time my generation and the next generation down got here. And so here's what I want you to get with that. That means that when it comes to a biblical idea of morality, that is foreign language to my generation. That is foreign language to Generation Z. They, they don't know what half of that stuff means. Their concept of being good, morally good and right and just, is pursuing their desire and being able to let their experiences form their concept of reality. Okay? It doesn't come from something bigger. It comes from them. Does that make sense? Um, that means, let me give you an example because I really want this to make sense. Leave, leave notes. Don't move on yet. When, look at the, I talked to you about a marriage, okay? If you are in a marriage that you don't like, if you're in a marriage that makes you unhappy, postmodernism says, I am being immoral if I stay in the marriage. Postmodernism says, I am being morally wrong if I rob myself of a, a marriage I like more and a different opportunity. If I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore and I'm more attracted to another person, there must be a reason for that, and that's my experience, so I need to pursue that. I need to follow that and fulfill it and see where it leads me, otherwise I'm being wrong. That also means that if society or a religion says to you, you can't do that, that's wrong, they are being immoral, because they're blocking your ability to express yourself. They're blocking your ability to pursue your interests and desires and find your fulfillment in your experiences. Does that make sense? That's what we're dealing with in postmodernism. I say all that to let you know that what we're about to read in the book of Acts is very similar, and I want you to see the parallels here. 
in the book of Acts in chapter 17, the very first century church, they lived in an environment very similar to this, and they preached the gospel fervently and effectively, and they changed the world. So I have good news for you. Things are looking really good right now to share the gospel of Jesus. Things, yeah, come on, clap. Things look good. Those of you watching online, type it in the chat. Say, come on, that's good. Come on. The, the world we live in, I hear people say, the world's falling apart and it's so evil and so immoral. Well, in the eyes of postmodernism, they're actually very moral. They're very good. They're doing good things for society. But they are familiar with postmodernism's language and they're unfamiliar with who God is. And so that's why it looks like that. But regardless of that, the environment is just like it was then to allow the love of God to transform the atmosphere. So don't look at the world and say, oh, it's too dark. Look at the world and say, this is great. Let's go share Jesus. This has been done, and it was done successfully. Are you with me on that? Oh, man. I hope, come on, you can shout more. Let's get into the word. Let's just let this go. Let's go. I am fired up right now. The vibe in the room is good. Okay, let's read Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he has some friends coming to visit him and preach with him. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I'm going to skip ahead down to verse 20. So they said to him, you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing of something new. Dude, doesn't that sound like people today? They love to sit around and come up with new ideas of goodness and morality and change language and, and correct. It, they, and they do this all day. They love to do this and hear some new idea of how we can be good and better and moral and right. This is so similar. Let's keep going. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What, therefore, you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Listen to this. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, and now he quotes their philosophers. These are pagan philosophers, Paul quotes. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring, God's offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because... He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. I want to tell you something. You will not value the ways of God until you fathom the love of God. You're going to repeat that after me. Say, you will not value 
the ways of God until you fathom the love of God. You got that? We're going to do it one more time. Come on, at home, say it. I know whether your husband's sitting on the couch next to you or not, don't be embarrassed. Say this out loud. You will not value the ways of God until you fathom the love of God. Whew, there's so much here. Let's, let's dive in. Paul walks up to this area in Athens, and at first he goes to the synagogue. A synagogue was a Jewish temple where the Jews would worship in the Roman Empire. So Jews were familiar with biblical language. They have a history with God. They were God's people. And they're used to the Old Testament scriptures. And so when people would go to preach, they would go to preach in the Jewish synagogue. It's kind of like church today. I'm standing here, and I'm a preacher, and I'm preaching to you. And I can say things like, the blood of Jesus washes your sins away. And everyone goes, amen. Well, some of you do. The blood of Jesus, or I can say, I can say like, you know, thank you, God, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. And we go, yeah, amen. I can even say stuff like, you need to stop cheating on your wife. And you're going to go, yeah, yeah, I do. You need to watch your language. Your language does not represent the kindness and the tact that God wants for you in your life. You're using crass language. You need to knock it off. And most Christians, for the most part, who go to church or people who are familiar with church will go, yeah, he's right. I really got to work on that right? But then it says Paul goes to the marketplace. Now imagine we're in Wegmans. Yeah, let's picture it. Surround yourself. I don't know where you live. Liverpool, do it. Picture your Wegmans, right? And I'm standing there, and I go, hey, you, you need to stop cheating on your wife. You, sir, need to put pornography away. That guy is going to look at me and go, what? Who do you think you are? And, and why would I, by the way? Why would I put pornography down? It fills a need for me. It makes me happy. It allows me to pursue interests that I have, and I like it. Why would I stop doing that? And who the crabby patty are you to tell me that I should stop doing that? What's the difference? I'm not in church I'm in the marketplace. The audience is different. These principles of morality that I'm presenting to you make sense to you. Why? Because a lot of you can fathom the love of God. A lot of you are at least familiar with the language. But to them, what I'm doing is I am shoving principles of morality at them and restricting them to a mindset of morality that makes no sense to them and goes against their values. I look like the bad guy. And let me tell you, Christians in the public eye look like the bad guy all the time. I hear people say, since I've been born, so I know it goes back longer than me, that Christianity is a bigoted, hateful religion. Why? Very simply, I'm presenting to you, it's because we use language sometimes that has to do with the ways of God. And we use it with people who don't know the love of God, and it makes no sense to them. In fact, it seems countervaluable to them. But now imagine I'm in Wegmans. I love Wegmans. I'm so happy to be back in the Northeast. I love Wegmans. There's no Wegmans down south, y'all. I know a lot of people who love the south. Good for you. But I tell you what, if you'd get a Wegmans, you'd be a lot better. Um, I'm just being honest. If I'm in Wegmans and I say, hey, excuse me, sir. We both reach for the broccoli at the same time awkwardly and I pull my hand away, whatever. And I say, excuse me, I just want you to know that there is a real God 
who made you. And he cares about you, and he loves you. And I don't know what your life is like, but he has a plan for your life that will be so much more fulfilling than any plan you could come up for yourself. If you knew how much he loves you, it would change the way you think. And I swear it would impact the way you live. What's happening? I'm slowly introducing him to language of the love of God, and that will start to make sense to him. Paul goes into this area and he says, I see these idols everywhere. Men of Athens, I see that you're trying to do the right thing. I see you're trying to be good worshipers. You have this inscription to an unknown God. You're trying to worship that unknown God. I'm here to tell you that you're, you're actually, though, ignorant of the God you're looking for. But I know him. I want to introduce him to you. I want to talk to you about him. Paul says, the God that you're trying to worship but you don't know, you've been trying to do the right thing. You're just going about it the wrong way. There is this great story in the Bible. Some of you probably read it, but if you haven't, I'll fill it in for you real quick. Where Jesus, in the Gospels, shows up at the Jewish temple. And he sees a bunch of people profiting, gouging others, and making money off of them by selling sacrifices at a ridiculous rate. They've turned, the Bible says, the temple into a marketplace. Jesus goes in and he makes a, cord, a whip out of cords, Indiana Jones style, and he goes through the temple and he starts whipping and driving people out of the temple. And he takes the money changers at the temple's tables, he turns their tables over. Do you realize that Paul the apostle could have walked into Athens and seen these pagan idols and said, flip that thing upside down. That is evil. That is wrong. What do you think you're doing? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do the Jesus move. He does something different. Do you realize Jesus also went up to other tables of sinners and he sat at them and he ate with them? He flips over some tables. He sits and he eats at others. What's the difference? I'm presenting to you the differences of the audience. In the Jewish temple, they know better. They're there to worship God. They know what's going on. They've heard the biblical language of what God's love means. And they're familiar with God's ways once you accept God's love. And they're still gouging people. Shame on you. Repent. That's wrong. And good. That's exactly right. Jesus can then introduce them to what's right. Paul walks in and says, you don't know, you don't understand what you're doing. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to criticize you and say you're evil because that'll make no sense to you. In fact, you're just going to think I'm evil for calling you evil. But I'm going to explain the love of God to you and then we can talk about the commands of God together. I love this. Can we read verses 26 and 27 again? Look at this. Paul says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Look at that again. You were created so that you would seek God and feel your way towards him. Do you realize that's what everyone in our world is doing? Have you thought about this? Everyone in our world is trying to find God. They are. They're just going about it the wrong way. They're pursuing God through self-expression. They're pursuing God through identifying themselves with their interests that they find by trying to be countercultural to traditional values. That's how they're pursuing God. They're doing something that they were actually designed to do, but the devil is so good at presenting a counterfeit 
that they don't know the difference. And sometimes we come along, and instead of saying, ah, that's a counterfeit, I want to introduce you to the real God, instead we go, shame on you for disobeying God. And that makes no sense to them. It's a counterfeit God, but if it meets a need at the time, nobody's going to know that. They're going to be satisfied temporarily until they go on to the next thing. They're not, they're not going to figure it out sometimes on their own. But every person in this world is four words away from salvation. Jesus, I need you. Now, you can say more than that. I'm not describing the entire process of becoming a Christian, but that's where it starts. Jesus, I need you. I don't look at the world today and go, oh, it is so far from God. It's not any farther than it was 2,000 years ago. You were always four words away from the best decision you could make in your entire life. You need Jesus. And so Paul recognizes this in the context of this area. When I look at things happening in the world, and man, media is so unhealthy, be careful. It's so easy to think that you're, you're better than falling for the stuff we see on social media and on TV and everywhere else. It's, it's nice to imagine, to tell ourselves, I know not to fall for everything they say. But when you consume it enough, that gets really blurry. But when we look at everything going on, right, political upheaval. I know for me, the last six years of politics have been a nightmare. I've hated it. COVID was wreaking havoc across the world. Wildfires. Why are there so many wildfires? My gosh, gun violence is knocking at our door every 10 seconds. We look at the world and we go, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart. Actually, the world has been pursuing self-expression, self-interest, and personal fulfillment and desire. And this is the natural course that it leads to because they don't know the God they're actually looking for. So we need to introduce them to him. All right, let's look at verses 30 and 31. It says, Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I love this. So this is the part in the speech where Paul says, Okay, you were ignorant of God, but now I've introduced you to him. Now you've heard of him. Now you are familiar with the love of God. And I've told you that from the beginning, he made you with the intention that you could have a relationship with him, that you would very easily be able to seek him and find him. Now you have to act, though. Now you can't claim you don't know, because I've told you. There's a responsibility in your court. The gospel has reached your ears, and you can decide to accept the love of God, the God that I have introduced you to. Follow Jesus, fathom his love, let it transform you. Jesus literally fought death and won, and he did it out of love for us. You will not find a greater capacity. I cannot imagine a human being saying, I did nothing wrong, and I will gladly just pay the penalty for every other criminal's offenses. But the very fact that God, who is outside and bigger than the universe he created, chooses to step into the universe that he created and intentionally fight your battles for you is the greatest display of love anyone will ever know and see. Yeah, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did. 
And I'm so, I'm so heartbroken when I meet people who go, Christianity is just a bunch of stuff that tries to rob me of my happiness. I'm like, oh man, I get why it looks like that to you. Because you were told that you will be happy if you pursue every interest and desire and the ability to express yourself however you want to, the ability to identify yourself however you want to, you think that's going to fulfill you. So of course Christianity looks like a roadblock to you. But if you understood how deep and wide and vast and strong the love of God is for you, if you really could see it, I guarantee you, you wouldn't think that way anymore. So how can I show the love of God to you? You don't know. Now, so imagine a person then is in this situation and they hear what Paul is saying and they, something all of a sudden clicks. Oh my gosh, I've been worshiping at that unknown altar. I've been going to the area in Athens at the Areopagus and I've been listening to these messages and I've been sacrificing to an unknown God. I didn't know. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was moral. I thought I was good. I thought I was helping. And they just have no idea that they were pursuing God, but they were going about it the wrong way. And they were being given a counterfeit. But now, they go, wait a minute. So, so, so why would I stop pursuing all of my sexual desire? Oh, so the God who made me, he knows what's going to fulfill me more than I know. Oh, that makes sense now. Why would I care about how I treat other people? I can say whatever the heck I want to say. You can't police my speech. Oh, wait, so the God who unconditionally is kind to me, wants me to be unconditionally kind to others. Oh, that makes sense now. Why wouldn't I try on any type of identity I want? Why wouldn't I choose to, to, to make my sexuality and my gender malleable? Because it makes me happy and it allows me to try something I never tried before. Maybe it's going to lead to something. Oh, wait. So you mean when God made me, my design was on purpose? Oh, so he actually had a plan and knew that if I lived the way he made me, I would actually be more fulfilled because he understands my being more than I understand my being. Oh my gosh, everything's starting to click. God's love is so real. Now all of these counterfeit, these unknown gods, that's what they start to look like. It looks foreign. See, before Christianity is what was foreign. It didn't make sense. Biblical language of hate. Blocking people, stopping people, condemning people, cursing people. I hate the Bible. I hate Christianity. I hate God. I hate Jesus. All of a sudden, wait a minute. The unknown gods I was pursuing, all that morality, that's starting to look pretty counterfeit. Maybe, maybe I had that backwards, and things are starting to make sense. Church, I'm telling you, in the postmodern world we live in, the gods that we worship, they are self-expression, personal, individual agency. Pastor Bethany always likes to put it this way, and I like it. She says we worship self. You can worship God or you can worship self, and you can't worship both. And I think that's so good. And we think that we find God by looking inward, and we experience God by experiencing every passion, every desire, and every thought. And inhibition is immoral. But I'm telling you, for those of you who've been listening to this, I know I've been talking about how Christians should talk to the world, but if, if you're listening to me, if you're online, you're listening to this, or if you're sitting here, you're listening to this, I just want to make sure I make this clear. God does not live in our self-expression. God does not live in our sexual fulfillment. God does not live in your educational status. God does not live in your financial goals. God does not live in your political affiliation. 
God does not live in your capitalism. God does not live in your Marxism. Those things, whatever you try to attach to them, in the end, they are unknown gods. They are counterfeit gods. They are false gods. And if you worship at them, that worship is wasted. No, God is the author, the creator, and sustainer of the universe. And in him, you live and you move and you breathe. And you have your being. And if you get to know him, you will find fulfillment and value and purpose. You will find joy. You will find peace and happiness. And you will have all these things even though the world sucks. Can I say sucks in church? You, you will legitimately have all of these things, and they will not be robbed from you, even though your life will have difficulty, and circumstances will be uncomfortable for you, and people will be mean to you, and the world will still have pain and problems and turmoil and hurt, but you will be fine. Why? Because your worship is not wasted. I, 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 I talk a lot, and I got to I, I think I'm getting off notes, and I'm going to try to weed my way back in here. I would literally talk to you guys for six hours, and i got to bring this in. Um, so Paul starts to wrap up, right, his sermon, just like i got to wrap up mine, by explaining this whole scenario of how he walks and recognizes he's in the marketplace. So I'm recapping for you. Paul recognizes he is in the marketplace. He knows that he's going to speak to them differently than he does when he's in the church. And so his language reflects the obvious truth of the love of God without condemning their behavior because their behavior to him makes sense. Because what, what is a person supposed to do if they don't know God? This may, of course they're going to live like this. This makes total sense. So let's talk about who God is first. And if that starts to click, then I can recognize that I can introduce them to the ways of God which they now need to value and adopt for themselves. Why? Because like I said before, you will not value the ways of God until you fathom the love of God. Don't forget that phrase. Here's my challenge to everybody today. When you leave church and go out to eat, because I, come on, it's Sunday. Everybody goes out to eat after church. I know you got plans. Somebody's going to Copper Top today. Somebody's getting those chicken tenders. Somebody's going to go to Panera. Nobody's going to Chick-fil-A. Thank you, Lord. It's close. Um, when you go out to eat, I want you to do something for me. I, I hope you get a terrible waiter or waitress. I, I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that when they go out to eat today, you get a terrible waiter or a terrible waitress. And when you do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave them the fattest tip ever. And you might be thinking, I don't have the money to do that. God will provide the money. You can come challenge me if he doesn't. I'll take responsibility, but he will. He'll provide it. Leave them a fat tip, and I want you to either say this to them or write them a note when you do this, okay? Terrible waiter, terrible waitress. You say, hey, I appreciate you. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he has a plan for your life. Seek him. You will find him. Somebody, please somebody do that. Somebody do that, okay? And here's why. Look, most Americans, if I said this to them, they would go, I would never do that. I'm encouraging the waiter or waitress to be a bad waiter or waitress. I'm telling them it's okay if they're terrible at their job. I'm telling them it's okay if they're mean to people and they don't pay attention to people's needs. That's not how a society works. Ah, but what is your responsibility? Yeah, remember this, okay? Some of you may not like this. That's okay. You can complain to me after or write me an email, richrifen at believerschapel.org. I'll handle that. I'm just kidding. He's going to be so mad if one of you does that. Um, listen to me. It is not a Christian's responsibility to discipline the world. 
It is a Christian's responsibility to reveal Jesus to the world. Look, as a Christian, I do have a responsibility to be upright and just in my own life. I have a responsibility to be disciplined and to encourage other Christians by disciplining them when necessary. But the world? No. This doesn't mean I don't care about immoral behavior. This doesn't mean that I don't care about what's going on in the world. But what's my first priority? Reveal Jesus to them. I am not responsible for making sure that the world lives a moral and upright life. And I will be sorely disappointed if I make that my focus. I will be let down and frustrated, and I will turn a lot of people away from Jesus. But when you get that terrible waiter or waitress, you're not worried about whether or not they're going to be the best waiter or waitress, whether or not they're going to waitress in the waitress Olympics. You don't care. What good does it do to have a world full of people with really great manners who are going to spend eternity away from God? What good does that do? You're interested in revealing the love of Jesus to somebody whose behavior actually makes sense. They're pursuing self-interest, self-expression. They're swapping identities around because they're trying to figure out what's going to fulfill them. It makes sense that they might behave that way. You're not worried about that. And I really, really want to make this point because I'm saying this for the sake of my generation. Because when I look at my generation, and this is how I'm closing. I'm wrapping this up right now. When I look at my generation, I see this all the time. I have friends whom I love, and they love me, and we grew up in Christianity together. And now they're at a point where they're so frustrated by what they consider the browbeating of Christian morality that they're throwing it off altogether. Because Christians look to them and sound to them like people who are nothing but angry and upset and disappointed in our lack of morality. When in reality, it's maybe just because we don't recognize that they're trying to be moral, but with a totally different understanding of morality in the world that they live in. Like I told you, postmodernism has been here for a long time. The world's different. That's okay. Change our language. Communicate the love first, because the commands don't make sense to them. I, I hope you're receiving that, because I don't... I, listen, I, there's probably somebody who's listening to me who has been hurt by that. I've been judged by Christians. Oh, I hate that. I'm so sick of Christianity. I've been judged by them. I'm even asking you, if that's you, if you've been judged harshly by Christianity, I would ask that you be gracious and forgive that person because it's very possible that the person that you felt, you felt they were judging you, it's very possible they just, they knew the love of God and they wanted you to understand it and maybe they didn't know how to share it. And maybe they just weren't sure where you were at or what you were going through. They, they value God's commands because they know his love. And you might not value God's commands because you're not familiar with his love quite yet. And so I ask that you forgive that person and consider the fact that we don't always get this right. I don't always get this right. I've been judgy to people without understanding who they were or where they were at. And I understand that. Last thing I'll say is this. I said that you will not value God's ways until you fathom his love. But similarly you are not going to be able to walk in the love of God until you decide that you're going to value the ways of God. You make a decision when you understand God's love and you comprehend it and it clicks where you then have to commit to him and accept that his ways are better than yours. You can't keep walking as if you get to decide what's morally right and morally good and morally just and then say I love God and he loves me too. 
Those don't go hand in hand. I can understand it if you don't know the love of God because you're pursuing what is morally right to you. But once you realize that God's love is the best thing for you, you have that responsibility to say, well, God's ways are probably better for me too. And to adopt them and to value them and to care about them and let them transform you. Does that make sense? All right, look. If you've been listening to this message and you are familiar with the things I've said, but you have never personally decided, God loves me, and I do just want to give my life to him. I've made excuses. I've had my issues. But you know what? In the, at the end of the day, whether I agree or disagree on some other little factor of Christianity, at the end of the day, I think I can recognize that God made me and he loves me. And I do want to follow his ways. I want to do that. I'm ready to do that. If that's you, I'm not going to have everybody look around. I'm not going to have you close your eyes, but I'm not going to have everybody looking around each other. But I want you to know, you can make the decision right now to say the four words because you were never far from him like you might have thought you were. You were never far from him. You've always been this far away. Say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. You say that and you mean it. And it is the start of God transforming your life. It will radically transform everything. Put my feet to the fire on it. I swear, I'll bet everything I have. It'll be the best four words you've ever said. It'll make everything different. Your mindset and your perspective of what's going on in the world today will start to change. Your mindset and your perspective of God will start to change. Because Jesus, I need you. You're that close. So if you've never done that, today's the day. Do it. You say, Jesus, I need you. And then talk to us. I would love to pray with you. I would love to work. If you're having struggles with some of the stuff I've said, talk to me. I'll talk about it with you. Joey, I don't like half the stuff you said. That sounds great. Let's get coffee. and Because I like coffee. And we'll work through it. Because I love you. And Jesus loves you. And it's okay. But I want to encourage you to get prayer, to meet with us, to talk to us, because we can get through these things. We recognize that there's a difference in our language about what's good and moral and just and about who God is. But we can talk through that. That's what I want you to do. All right, now I'm going to have you bow your heads real quick. Bow your heads. And only pray this with me if you mean it. Don't do it for show. Don't do it to fit in. But if you mean it, you can pray this with me. You can say it out loud if you want. Say it in your head. It doesn't matter. You say, dear God, I know that sometimes I do whatever I want. But God, I want to open my mind up to your ways and see that maybe you have something better for me. So God, I'm seeking you. I want to find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Okay. Be good. Come on, can we respond with some worship? I want you to stand up to your feet. Let's just praise God for a few minutes here before we get out of here thank him for what he's done in our lives. Thanks again for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's our hope that you will make today that day to call upon the name of the Lord and to give your life to him. If you'd like to speak to a pastor, Please take out your phone, text 315-444-2100, and somebody from our team will be in touch with you. 
Also, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, text the word Jesus to that number, 315-444-2100, and we would love to celebrate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.